1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, why don't we uh, stand, and uh, I think it will be up there for you, and we'll recite these uh, uh, words together. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 19. Let's stand. I'll say the word though twice, which means you join me the second time. Though, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Thank you. There was a great Archbishop of Canterbury who once said that the Church of Jesus Christ is the only cooperative society that exists for the benefit of its non-members. The only cooperative society that exists for the benefit of its non-members. What do you think of that? You think it's true that uh, we probably can't speak for the other societies, <laughs> but uh, would that be true of us, that we exist for the benefit of those who are not part of us? Well, Canadian uh, researcher and strong Christian leader Don Pistersky has a qualification with this statement. He says, in the past, preachers could be heard proclaiming the church is the one organization in the world that exists to serve people who are not members. God, God's people live to serve others. And he says, it may not sound spiritual by the past stand, or by past stands, may not sound very victorious. I'm sorry, I'll start over there. It may not sound spiritual, or by past stands, very virtuous. But good churches, he says, and this was written a long time ago, in the 1990s, they look after the needs of their members first and then express their concern for others. <laughs> well, what do you think? Canterbury, we exist for others. Prostorsky, churches are beginning to realize that first we have to take care of our own. I just want to say I agree with both of them. It's true. We exist for others, but we're not going to be much good to others if we don't take care of our own, right? I think of the Great Commission, the one that Jesus left before he ascended, and the way it's recorded in Matthew. 
And I'm reciting this for memory. He says, you know, all authority has been given to me. And on that basis, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Now that's outreach. Make disciples, baptizing them. Okay? But then the rest of the statement, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. That's going to take a while. That part would be for the insiders. That's what we're doing here. Teaching people to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And so, yes, it's, it's both. We exist for others. We want to have an outward leaning. And yet, at the same time, we support one another and take care of one another. It's a both and. It is, however, easy to become ingrown. I suggest that that would be the default for churches to become ingrown, not looking past themselves. And so I believe on that basis that it's important to be intentional about leaning outward. Here's what uh, researcher George Barna discovered. He says, sadly, in many churches, people's attention is focused exclusively upon themselves. In the growing churches I've studied, there was, of course, some self-centeredness. However, there was a greater emphasis upon outreach than in-reach. Growing churches. The people attending these churches were slowly but consistently stripped off their me focus and firmly led to focus upon Christ through attention and services to other people. That's an interesting connection. Focusing upon Christ, how, how, according to the, how do you do it according to that? By giving attention and service to other people. It's a way of being focused on Christ. Then he says, this was one of the healthiest aspects of these churches. Well, in the passage that we just read, we see something of the Apostle Paul's inclination and outlook. I believe in Paul here we have a pattern for ourselves. I believe it's a pattern for the church, but also a pattern for the outlook of us as individuals. And this passage really is about evangelism. It's about outreach. But I want you to keep in mind, even as we read this and concentrate on what Paul was saying and thinking and leaning in relation to outreach, remember Paul was very concerned about the health of every church. In fact, his letters are almost exclusively directed for the churches to smarten up, right? It's to, for the churches to be healthy. And so I think that's our position too, that we need to be as healthy as possible, but we're not going to be healthy by just concentrating on our health. We have to also lean outward. Well, as we look at Paul here and see something of the pattern in which he was operating and is wanting to win people for Christ, as you look at verse 22 and 23 in this passage, it's almost like a summary statement. He says, I have become all things, all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. 
What a firm statement of mission here. Non-negotiable as far as I sense here in Paul. In terms of this mission, I would, I would say it's almost like granite, solid, non-negotiable. And yet we will discover as we look at the passage, he was very flexible in what he was willing to do in order to accomplish his mission. Firm in his purpose. Flexible in the way that he was accomplishing that purpose. And so as we look at his pattern this morning, I want to, uh, I want to make three, two, three observations. The first one being that he was a servant of all. Servant of all. Secondly, he was accommodating in his approach. And then finally, we're going to notice again that he was absolute. Like I said, granite in his purpose. But beginning with servant, what a statement. He says, I'm free. I belong to no one. I am nobody's slave. I am nobody's taskmaster. I'm not answerable to anybody in that sense. And then he goes on to say, but I have become enslaved. I have chosen to be enslaved for the sake of others. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. What a statement. Absolute freedom so that what he's doing in, by way of ministry is volitional. Voluntary in his freedom and yet intentionally enslaves himself to serve well. And he says to win as many as possible. And in this context, you know, uh, preceding verses, he's been uh, saying how that uh, he has the perfect right to certain rights, okay? And specifically about being remunerated for his ministry. And he has made a choice not to take advantage of that particular right that is his. Paul is an example here of recognizing his rights, holding them loosely, being willing to give up his rights for the sake of others. What a, what a challenge. What an example to us. We live in a, in a world, and I don't know that it's any different than it's ever been. I don't know that. But we live in a world where people are so keen on their rights, you know, this right and that right. And I want to say that as Christians, we should be especially concerned about other people's rights. And yet not so concerned about our own rights. Contrast. Gordon Fee, one of the better scholars, I think, and very good on his commentary on 1 Corinthians, he says, free in order to become slave to all. This is surely the ultimate expression of truly Christian behavior and Christ-like behavior. Free to become slave Surely the ultimate expression of truly Christian behavior. Now, I'd like to even uh, say here that there's a sense in which Paul comes upon this honestly. And if we can think of Jesus as, you know, the uh, metaphorical father, okay, the master for sure, he comes by it honestly in the sense that that was the pattern. 
taught by Jesus and practiced by Jesus. Um, Mark 43-45 Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that passage there talks about the dynamic, I think, especially within the fellowship, because he says, you want to be first? No, it's not the way. Here Paul is bringing that same attitude into his outreach. I think what it's very, I think, you know, in a way it's obvious. It's not rocket science that serving people helpfully makes our outreach more effective. Serving people helpfully makes our outreach more effective. I'll bet you Alan and Hilda could give us a hundred examples of that from India. You serve the people and you become credible and they're more apt to hear you. good friend of ours in uh, seminary days was uh, Galen Kara. And he and his wife Jennifer went, I don't remember which country it was in Africa, but they went off as uh, missionaries with the conservative Baptists. And uh, I went back there and Marty was with me for some further studies later and they happened to be home on furlough so we were able to reconnect. And Galen said that, you know, they as conservative Baptists, their approach had been church planting directly. But then he said the Lutherans, and I think they were Norwegian Lutherans, I'm not sure, said they actually were more effective because when they came there, they came doing other things as well, you know, like hospitals and perhaps schools and so on. In other words, because they were serving the people in a breadth of ways, they were more credible and they were more effective in what we have been called to do. For Christians, our cause, for the Christian cause, our power, which comes from the Lord, does not come through domination, but it comes through service. I think sometimes people forget that. You know, if they mix up their Christian faith with the red, white, and blue, you know, it's almost like, mm. but the power of the gospel and the power of the church and the power of the cross comes through serving people, service. There's a sense in which it's part of our DNA <laughs> because our life is in Christ. Our life is in you, Lord Jesus. And if our life is in Him, then we have His DNA, and His DNA, I'm talking, of course, metaphorically, it's service, service, the way of the Master. Paul, the servant of all, so that he could be most effective. Well, how does he exercise that attitude of servanthood and it's almost surprising in a way as he develops how he goes about it here. He elaborates on it and it's frankly here in this passage 
he expresses his servanthood by being accommodating to all people. Flexible. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And he talks about all of them, you know, how he's willing to be, and he says that in verse 22, willing to be all things to all people so that he can win as many as possible. And so he's saying that when I'm with the Jews, I live as a Jew. When I'm with the Gentiles, I live as a Gentile. When I'm with the weak, I live as a weak. When I'm with the strong, I... You know, this is almost puzzling. Is he saying he's like a Jekyll and Hyde here? Is he saying that he's like some wishy-washy people, not taking a firm stand on things, can't make up his mind? Is he like some politicians who seem to be guided by the polls more than by principle? Is he a person without convictions of his own? Is he inconsistent? Is he a hypocrite? What in the world does he mean by these statements? I've become all things. Willing to budge, willing to negotiate. What does he mean? He's showing that he conducted himself differently in different settings. When he was among the Jews, he was kosher. He couldn't have any bacon with his eggs at that point. Okay? Because he's with Jews. When he's with Gentiles, and this sounds pretty radical, but it would seem to fit what he's saying here, that when he was with the Gentiles, this former strict Pharisee could even eat pork chops for his dinner. Radical, but willing to live in a different way when he was with a different group of people. And we might say, well, how, how could a devout Christian be so seemingly inconsistent because he knew that such things as special food laws, special observances on special days, circumcision, these kinds of things were of no matter to God. And as a Christian, he had long ago given up on these as essential to having a right relationship with the Lord. And that's partly why he's saying, I'm free. I have all that freedom in Christ. And yet so as not to needlessly offend the Jews, he also had the freedom to observe these things when he was with them. Paul will accommodate others in order to have credibility. You know, we can cause needless offense by failing to respect other people's culture or even their religious sensibilities and when we do so our credibility with them simply drains away remember we don't only want to speak the truth but we also want those to whom we speak to hear the truth that's our concern and our credibility has a huge effect on whether they really hear us or not. When you've been serving people in a helpful way, in a natural kind of way where it's not obviously to win favor, you, you do it whether you win favor or not, when you serve people in that kind of a way, they're more apt to hear what you have to say. 
And so, in summary, Paul was free. Free to not live according to all the freedom that he had in Christ, but free, free from all the rules and expectations as practiced by the Pharisees of which he had belonged. He was free from those things, and yet he was free not to practice his freedom. Practice not his liberty if it meant that he'd have a better hearing among these people. Why? Because number three, he was absolute in his purpose. And here's sort of the irony, right? Sort of like when it came to the way of doing things, you could say he was a little bit like, almost like putty. But when it came to his mission, his purpose, he was like granite. He was absolute. absolute. What was the purpose? Well, verse 19, to win as many as possible. And then in all the verses that follow, he uses that expression, to win, to win, to win these people. Living as Jews among the Jews. Why? To win the Jews. Uh, when he's with the others, with the Gentiles, those under the law, he lived as under the law. To win those under the law. And to those not having the law, he lived accordingly. Not without law, not lawless but he lived in a freedom from that Judaizing or the uh, Jewish law because he was with people that that didn't matter, willing to be all things to all people. There's an expression here too that among the weak, he, he lived as the weak. And what is that talking about? Well, in the larger context here, the weak were those who had scruples about eating meat that had been offered to idols. I guess uh, that kind of meat, maybe it was a, mar uh, a bargain in the marketplace. And uh, Paul knew that meat was meat. And there's no such a thing as an idol, and just because something has been sacrificed to an idol doesn't mean it spoiled the meat, so he was free to eat it. But the weaker brothers did not have that freedom. So he was prepared not to use that freedom for himself because he didn't want to cause offense. All things to all people for the sake of the gospel. I think we have to remember here too that being faithful to the gospel is not only about holding to its contents, but it's also about advancing the gospel. The gospel is about outreach. One of the old-timers was, uh, I think it was uh, D.L. Moody. Uh, somebody criticized him for uh, his approach to evangelism, his evangelistic uh, approach. And he said, you know, I, he said, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you're doing evangelism. And he says, I don't like it either. But then he says, I like it a lot better than the evangelism you're not doing. I'm doing something about evangelism. <laughs> The gospel isn't only about being faithful to its contents, but it's also being faithful in trying to advance it. And Paul was doing so. To him, that is what mattered. Willing to go along with people to accommodate, to serve them for the sake of the gospel. Well, here's the big question. Does that mean that he compromised? And of course, depends on what you mean by compromise. If he failed to live up to his standards, no. If that's what you mean by compromise, he didn't. But if by compromise you mean he was willing to give and take 
in things that didn't really matter, then you could say, well, sure, he compromised on those. Here's the thing. He only compromised, if you can use that word, in things related to his freedom and his preferences. <laughs> Willing to give when it came to his freedom. Willing to give when it came to his preferences. Flexible on things that only seem to matter spiritually to other people. But things, you know, which he knew had no significance anyway. It's okay to eat meat that's been offered to an idol that doesn't exist. It's not okay, by the way, to participate in their ceremonies. That's different. Free. Didn't matter anyway. Willing to be flexible. Well, I wonder about us. See, I'm really wondering. In fact, I'm suggesting that when people are really tight and rigid about certain things that really are lesser things, but they hold to them so rigidly, almost as if they're the gospel itself, I wonder if they haven't somehow lost sight of what it is that really matters. Examples, dress codes, style of music, how a sanctuary must or must not be decorated. I think of one of the executive ministers that we had in the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada, went to be with the Lord tragically, Bill Cram. And I remember an example that he gave that I think was so, so right on. And he was talking about this uh, teaching in uh, Paul where you are to consider the other person more important than yourself, part of humility. And then he gave a for instance, and this was so much closer to the music wars in churches. Remember that? I don't think we have too much of that anymore. But you know, you had some that were so firm, no drums absolutely in church, okay? That type of thing. And he said, this is what it would look like if, if a congregation has that attitude of considering other people more important than yourself. And so here you are, you're singing a song, an old hymn, okay? And the young people are sort of observing and they're saying, you know, I don't really like that hymn. But I see how the seniors, how they light up. I see how that this is important to them. They're getting something out of it. And you know what? These seniors, they're going to be with Jesus pretty soon. So their needs are more important than my need. And then when, when we're singing a contemporary song, the seniors are saying to themselves, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure I like that kind of a song, but all oh, those young people, they're really engaged. They're getting a lot out of it. And they got their whole life ahead of them. And life is hard. And they got a whole life ahead of them to live for Jesus. Their needs are more important than my needs. So I'm glad we're singing the kind of song that they like. Yeah. But remember that? The music wars. That can be an example of letting go of things that aren't really that important. I know of a, <clears throat> I know of a couple groups who are not using the 
authorized King James Version is a deal killer. My friend uh, Mark Morris, Camrose, part of a Baptist church in Camrose, and there was another group that came in, and he went and invited the leader to come to our uh, ministerial. It turned out that he wasn't willing to fellowship with us because we didn't use the King James Version. I wonder, have they overlooked? Have they forgotten? Have they never realized what is really important? You see, in the spirit that Paul is expressing here, I would be willing to preach from the King James Version if that is what it would take to connect with some people, if there were a group of people that wanted that. I'd be fine with that in that same spirit that he's talking about. But if I'm rigid about it, either way, if I'm saying I won't do it, or if I'm saying that's the only version I'm willing to use, then I'm missing that very principle that Paul is talking about here. I'm missing of, uh, being all things to all people because of that which is more important. Willing to be accommodating so that I can be helpful to all people. Paul saw himself as a servant, a slave to all, accommodating himself to the various groups. Like today, maybe it would be knowing how to relate to the baby boomers, knowing how to relate to Generation X, knowing how to relate to the millennials. All of them have slightly different connecting points but being willing to accommodate accordingly. Or uh, being culturally sensitive to the people around us. Recognizing that it is all about the mission, which is discipling people for Jesus Christ. Well, this morning I've been talking largely about Paul, who was an individual. Next week I want to talk about, Lord willing, what it means to be that kind of a church, perhaps. But I want to close with uh, this story that uh, came out of a book by Re Rebecca Pippard called Out of the Salt Shaker. And uh, this took place, I would guess, between, you know, over 30 years ago. So, so, so it was more, I would say what was going on in this story made more sense then that it was an issue. But she says it occurred in Portland, Oregon. Uh, there was a student on one of the campuses where she worked, and he was brilliant. And he looked like he was always pondering the esoteric, okay? His hair was always mussy. And she says, in the entire time I knew him, I never once saw him wear a pair of shoes. Rain, sleet, or snow, Bill was always barefoot. I don't think he would have been in Edmonton in 2018. But that was his style in Portland, always barefoot. Well, while he was attending college, he had become a Christian. And at this time, a well-dressed, middle-class church across the street from the campus wanted to develop more of a ministry to the students. They were not sure how to go about it, but they tried to make them feel welcome. Well, one day, Bill decided to worship there. He walked into this church, 
wearing his blue jeans, his t-shirt, and of course, no shoes. And again, I point out, this is 35 years ago, so it, today it probably wouldn't, wouldn't mean anything because uh, we're, we're far more comfortable with God, that kind of thing. And so she says, people looked a bit uncomfortable, but no one said anything. So Bill began walking down the aisle looking for a seat. The church was quite crowded that Sunday, so he got down to the front pew and realized there were no seats. He just squatted on the carpet, perfectly acceptable behavior at a college fellowship, but perhaps a bit unnerving for a church congregation. The tension in the air became so thick one could slice it. Suddenly, an elderly man began walking down the aisle toward the boy. Was he going to scold him? My friends saw him approaching and they thought, you know, his world is too distant from Bill's to understand. You can't blame him for what he's going to do. As the man kept walking slowly down the aisle, the church became completely silent. All eyes were focused on him. You could not hear anyone breathe. When the man reached Bill, with some difficulty, he lowered himself and sat down next to him on the carpet. And he and Bill worshipped together on the floor that Sunday. I was told, says Pippard, that there was not a dry eye in the congregation. And then the irony is that probably the only one who failed to see how great this act really was, how great this giving was, was probably Bill himself. Naively, he wouldn't have even known that this was major. But what an example of this older person getting it, accommodating himself, because the important thing wasn't the way that we've always done it, or the, you know, the proper dress and all the rest of it. But the important thing here is that someone like Bill should be welcomed so that he can worship with us. Wow. Being all things to all people. That I might by any means save some. But you know what? It can only happen if we realize that it's the big things that are big and that so many of these other things are simply our preferences and our taste buds. And by the way, we have a right to taste, we have a right to our preferences, but we hold them loosely. Let's pray. Father, it's because we have something so major to focus on that we can practice give and take on other things. And I pray that even as there are different things in life, tragic things in life that kind of shake us up and help us to realize what really matters, we pray that we might not need that in the way we minister to people, but that we might be wise, that we might be knowledgeable, and that we might recognize and be alert to that which really matters, but then at the same time 
be willing to make the adjustment necessary so that we can fulfill that which matters. We ask it in the name of Jesus and pray that he would be honored through us. In Jesus' name, amen.